Hello, Conspirituality Podcast listeners. Welcome to a sample of a Patreon bonus episode. We release these every week for our subscribers. They're usually solo essays from our team. It costs $5 a month for access, and the support helps to keep us ad-free and editorially independent. You can sign up at patreon.com backslash conspirituality. Thank you. I want to pull back uh, in closing to look a little bit or think a little bit more about how Teal and Diana are interacting with this media from like a media studies perspective. Um, and I want to do this because I think that when we're talking about Teal Swan, we're talking about a particularly intimate kind of influence, uh, parasocial by definition. And when we're talking about parasocial influence, we're also talking about a world of mirroring of imitation and mimicry. Um, we're talking about heated, charged, intimate relationships, or at least relationships that feel that way, even though the parasocial sort of boundaries and limitations uh, distort that a little bit. And, you know, in media terms, uh, we're talking about an extremely heated uh, medium, if we want to use McLuhan's terms, because uh, the parasocial relationship really has no space. Uh, it enters right into your psyche. And I think in some cases, it, it returns the consumer to a kind of naive state of media engagement. And this is a state that doesn't really allow for stepping back and adopting a meta view of themes and archetypes and characters and their arcs and where they go. Um, so, you know, just in, in my own house, in developmental terms, I can see, you know, a couple of ways of relating to media in this sense, uh, a distinction between engagement styles between our six-year-old and our nine-year-old. So, for instance, our six-year-old can engage with a, a gaming world like Zelda Breath of the Wild, or they can watch episodes with me from The Mandalorian, or they can watch some of the first trilogy films in the Star Wars series with me. And for the six-year-old, the characters and the actors are extremely close and present. And that experience can be intense at times to the point of absolute immersion. And as a parent, I think, you know, you're always kind of monitoring that, like wondering whether or not it's too much, whether the child can gain some distance, whether they can extract themselves, whether they're being pulled in. And and I have to say that even at this point, with a six-year-old and a nine-year-old, I look at media from this perspective of just how immersive and totalizing it can be. Because I see a relationship between the way in which uh, a particular medium can impact a person in the way in which, for instance, a cult can indoctrinate a person, um, how close and, and claustrophobic uh, that power structure can be. And, and with a six-year-old, you know, we can see that the experience is immersive and, you know, and, and totalizing because it provokes imitation and mimicry. Uh, 
And that resonates out into like the post-media play. So after playing Zelda for a while, the six-year-old will often spend like a rich imagination time outside in the backyard, waving stick swords around and, and putting himself right into that environment or building Lionel crushers or lightning blades out of cardboard. But with the nine-year-old, a threshold has been crossed uh, where we can talk about stories as stories. We can talk about how they're constructed. Uh, we can talk about how a writer or a filmmaker is choosing to do the messages that can be communicated and how those messages could be communicated otherwise. Like, what choice did the writer make here? So there's a capacity to step back from something like The Lord of the Rings and, and listen to historians talk about how Tolkien was profoundly influenced by you know, industrial creep uh, taking over rural England. And then he had these terrible experiences in the First World War. And, you know, the nine-year-old is able to discuss that the ring is symbolic, that it represents like the apex of a terrible human ingenuity. And that there's this great debate between characters about whether or not the ring should exist at all, uh, whether it can be used in profitable ways, uh, whether it can be used without ruining other people's lives, or whether, as Gandalf insists, it must be destroyed by returning it to its origin place. And this is all reflective of the conversations that Tolkien is having with his own son during the Second World War about what uh, the Allied forces should be doing with nuclear technology. I was just stunned uh, seeing, uh, we talked about it on the episode, uh, Giorgia Maloney becoming, you know, the newly minted Italian prime minister, uh, and, and of course, heir to the party of Mussolini, finding out that she's obsessed with Tolkien and that right. she suggests that Lord of the Rings is a sacred text. In, in addition, of course, to her being a, a conservative Christian, um, she's been quoted as saying that she believes Tolkien expresses better than conservatives are able what their worldview is all about. Have you come across this particular sort of angle? I, I There's a big article in the New York mm. Times about her devotion to, to Tolkien, and I would put that media absorption into the six-year-old category yeah. <laughs> of being really, really inspired to the point of, you know, uh, cosplay. Uh, and without being able to step back and say, uh, okay, Tolkien was actually a very complex political figure. He's reactionary in some ways, quite progressive in others. You know, of course, you know, he wouldn't have had a problem with, with you know, interracial marriage in, in the middle world or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all of this stuff. Um, you know, Maloney is, is reading Lord of the Rings like a six-year-old and waving a sword around in the yard. Yeah, I mean, she talks about going to the sleepaway camp as a child, and and there's apparently a, a, a white nationalist kind of song that would be sung, an identification as we're all hobbits, but the, the hobbits are really like the, you know, the heroic white nationalists. So it's ill disturbing. Yeah, yeah, and so the mar marching, marching up and down, and not realizing that you're part of something bigger. You're part of a historical process, and and I think like the nine year old is is precocious, and so this I think this is happening fairly early. But like to be able to step back and and make observations about how stories are constructed is like fundamental, I think, to to reading and self awareness and and just media literacy. Um, there's this point, like we're watching we're watching uh, Andor together uh, on on 
it was one of the the, the Star Wars spinoffs, and we're able to 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 stop at various points and say, uh, "Oh, do you see how this particular character, you know, uh, machine or interaction is now being mirrored by the opposite side in the following scene?" The writer's doing something interesting there, right? And it's like. I have to own that I'm influencing that maybe conversation for sure, but I mean, maybe a little, but I mean, but, but he, yeah. but sometimes he'll stop it and he'll say, and he'll say, Oh, I remember that they did the same. They used the same device in this. And so, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, and, and so, and so I, where I'm going with all this, I have, I have a little bit yeah. more to, to get to, but where I'm going with all of this is that, is that to be immersed in girl interrupted as a Hollywood film, in which you identify with the characters, that's really difficult if you don't have uh, a meta view. If you can't sit back as we do uh, in a way, not to say that we're excellent viewers of the film or anything like that, but I mean, I think it's really hard to be 15 years old and watch this film with any kind of cultural detachment. (laughs) 